Take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 3. Communion Sundays don't give us a lot of time, but they're very significant and important to remind ourselves of why we're here. By the way, the conference was tremendous except for the initial flight out. We were on a plane for 11 hours, and uh, I don't want to talk about that right now. <laughs> okay, 1 Peter chapter 3, if you've been with us, we are expounding this passage. We have come to verse 18. What a tremendous verse. And I don't know that I can do it justice with the time this, we'll see, it may go into next week. Um, verse 18 alone, just 18. Look at this fantastic Verse, for Christ also died for sins once for all. And I just give a hearty amen to that personally right there. Once for all. Well, the just for the unjust. So that he might bring us to God. Having been put to death in the flesh but made alive in the spirit. Let's pray. Our Father in God, we humbly bow before you and words cannot express from the human heart the gratitude, the love that we have for you because you first loved us. The appreciation that before the foundation of the world your plan was carried out by your son. That your justice was met, the penalty was paid for, and your righteousness satisfied in him. And to have the depths of the thought that your scriptures make so clear that because of that death, there is therefore now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. I thank you and praise you that you have opened the eyes of the blind, that you have helped the dead to come to life as you've revealed the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the many in this room who have believed and are part of the body of Christ. And I pray as we look at this precious text that, Father, you'd help us to better appreciate our salvation and, Father, that you would continue even in the process of the preaching of the word to open the hearts and the eyes of the blind who still you do not yet see, that they might come to understand Christ and understand the good news. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Victory once for all, I've entitled the message. I didn't really know what to do with it. Uh, it's just uh, so tremendous in this passage. We have just learned in our passage in verses 13 to 17 that we, that is believers, are to be good apologists. In fact, the only ones who can be good apologists are those who have trusted in Christ. We are to be defenders of the faith. We are to be witnesses for Christ, terms that we toss around all the time. But since we've been called to Christ, we, of all people, and the only people 
are the ones to call to testify. And I want to share from my heart, without getting into specifics, because there have been many, not only before, and I was gone all week, but even since I've been back, I have been so encouraged by this congregation and a number of people that have come up to me and shared the opportunities that God has opened to them personally to share the gospel, to share what Christ has done. And that's exciting. It really is because you're going to see some fruit born as the seed has been sown by you. It's so encouraging. We are to be defenders of the faith. We are to be ready to tell others about the hope that lieth in us. And in last week's message, we learned in this passage, fantastic passage, how we are to do that. How can we be good apologists? And we learned six points that you can scan in verses 13 to 17. We ought to be enthusiastic for good works. We ought to have a zeal to want to be used by God to serve others and to be available for good works. Not that good works produces salvation, but is a product of being saved and being created in God's workmanship unto good works. We also are to be willing to suffer for that which is right to take stands for the scriptures and what the scriptures teach and not be afraid what man might do to us. If we're going to be a good apologist, a good defender of the faith, we need to be willing to suffer, not for things we deserve to suffer for, but for those things that are right. We need, thirdly, we saw, to be set apart unto Christ. Our life, and I would challenge all of us right here in this room, starting with myself. Really, what are the priorities of our life? Are we set apart to Christ? Is Christ our life, or is it Sunday morning as we have discussed and talked about last week? Christ is our life, and he is to be our life, and we belong to him, and he is Lord. And then we saw that we had to be ready we're to be ready, and this isn't a formula. We have classes on evangelism. We talk about evangelism. There's campaigns of evangelism. We've had Sunday school classes to teach people how to evangelize, and then no one evangelizes. We need to be ready. And as we saw last week, to be a good apologist and to be ready, what that means is you're ready to be put into play. It's not a formula. It's based upon the fact as you're walking with God and as you're having your relationship with him and are with him in a, in a godly display in your life and others see, just be ready because they're going to ask you. We think evangelism is going forth and we talked about that and, and basically having these big events and formulas. It's not that at all. It's being ready as we illustrated it to be called into the game. And when someone asks you to be ready to tell them as they observe you walking and living for Christ, and they will. If they see you different from the world, they'll ask you, why? What is it? It's your hope. And you need to be ready to share that. That makes a good apologist. It's to be done humbly. We saw that. That was point number five. We're not to be arrogant. We have nothing to boast of. 
We're not better than anyone else. This isn't a matter of us being better. Oftentimes, and I'm guilty of that sometimes, we, we look at the unsaved and we kind of push them off. Like we're better than they are. We are no, no one other than sinners saved by grace. And by the grace of God, we are who we are. And we're to approach it humbly. As the Lord Jesus Christ humbly and gently went to the cross of Calvary. Though he was Lord of all. And finally we saw that we're to have a clear conscience. We're to get that sin confessed. We're to get that life right. That's a good thing about communion. All too often we make the distinctions between the saved and the unsaved. And don't take the opportunity to realize that that text is telling us to examine ourselves as believers. Because all too often, while we're professing Christ, this side of the room's having issues with that side of the room. The front's having opportunities with the back. And I'm just trying to illustrate it where we're not in right relationship one with another and we're part of the body of Christ and that ought not to be. And so... Part of the reasons we're not witnessing and the opportunities aren't coming is because we're not walking with Christ. We don't have the humble attitude. Our conscience isn't clear. There are issues. And we were called last week to get back to order because God will work in your life and you'll be excited again about witnessing for Christ as you walk with him. We also noted in that text, and it's important to what we're going to begin to talk about this morning, we also noted in that text that primarily evangelism isn't global in the sense of gathering for conventions. Evangelism, the primary aspect of evangelism, and the best evangelist is you who know Christ. We are called to give the gospel out. We are called to tell others about the hope that's in us. And the best person for witnessing is you. In a court case, they don't call everybody in the world. They call people on the stand to be a witness who knows something of the situation. And we as individuals who have trusted in Christ are called to be a witness. And so we also talked about the importance of lifestyle evangelism. People should be looking at our life. And Christians should be reflecting the Savior. As a light in the world, and people will ask the hope that's in you. That was last week. That's when we saw in the text of what evangelism really is and how it's to be used. And I would say this. Even this church, local assembly, goes all the way back even to the apostles, but just to bring it practical to our life, this church was based upon and built up upon personal evangelism. Oh, yes, there was a founding pastor in the preaching of the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. And as the gospel was preached, people got excited, including many of you, and went and told others, oh, stir that fire up. That we might share it, because as we individually witness and, and give testimony, people will come to know Christ. But that leads us to the question, to brings us to this verse. Great, fine, but what are we witnessing about? What are we to talk about? What, what is our message? Is it about me? Is it about you? Is there really good news? The answer is yes. And there is a great message. 
And the only ones, listen carefully to this, the only ones who truly have good news are Christians. I'm talking about true Christians. They're the only ones. The only ones who have the hope that this world needs is those that have experienced, understand, and are able to convey now through their witness and testimony because they know it's real, the gospel of Jesus Christ. God has the answer, and it's found here in verse 18. I remind you of the text in Isaiah 43 where this is important to our text. Listen. It was God who said, I, even I am the Lord, and there is no Savior beside me. God is the only Savior. So where are we in the context with all of that? The believers have been scattered abroad. Peter's addressing them. They have been suffering unjustly. It's important to understand the context of even 18, so you don't miss it. It's always important to understand the context. They've been called to live as citizens of heaven. That's what we've been learning throughout the book. And now we've come to verse 18. And they've been called to be, in verses 13 and 17, tell other people about the hope that's in them and to proclaim Christ. And in, in, in reality, what happens, first of all, in verse 18, is since they were suffering unjustly and were still to proclaim, they're called to look to the example. And Jesus Christ is presented as an example to them of someone who unjustly suffered in what he accomplished. That's the context. And here's the message. What is it? Verse 18. And that's why I say, for. Why are they to witness? For Christ did something. He died for sins. And he goes right back to Jesus Christ. The reason they're citizens of heaven and he starts with that, and I want to talk about that to begin with. It says Christ. What do you mean Christ? What does that, that word means to be anointed? It means the anointed one in the case of a particular person. And why? It means the, it's, it's the concept of the Messiah. People of the Old Testament were looking for it. Why? I read Isaiah 43 for a reason, or that one verse. Because God is the only one who can save, and God had promised the one that would be anointed, only one would be anointed of him to come. He is the only savior. Why is that? Listen, because all men are sinners and have come short of the glory of God. There isn't a one in this room. If you just happen to pop into this room today and I don't know who you are, I guarantee you one thing. You are a sinner that is lost unless you've trusted in Christ. The message of the world is man is basically good. Listen, often Christians get this confused too. We can do good deeds. We can do good things in a sense. But there is no man that is righteous before God. And that is why we can't be in the presence of God right now. I can't believe it's snowing again. I, it's, I, it, it, that was a distraction. I, but I cannot, we need to understand, we're not in the presence of God. Yes, God's everywhere. Why is it that we can't be with him? It is because of our sin. And listen, if you're sitting there and saying, look it, I'm not in trial in Boston for the bombings. I didn't cause somebody to get shot. I'm not as bad as them. Listen to this. It was only the eating of fruit that kept people out of the presence of God. So the next time you go and eat fruit, think about it. 
I'm serious. We think sin is a light thing. And it took one act of disobedience to what God had said to cast people out of his presence. You see, we look at it, my background is such the concept of venial and mortal. No, no, no. It's the concept of all men coming short of the glory of God because we are all sinners. And you know, it's very possible. You've been coming to this church for years and you hear that and you say, yeah, yeah, I know we're sinners. Yeah, I know Christ and have really never come to trust in Christ. And you who all, of all people, if you're in that category, are to be most pitied because you've heard it over and over and over again. So what is the hope beyond that? The only hope to redeem man, to help man, is that God himself had to anoint someone. Remember, Isaiah said God's the only savior. He had to send one person and one person alone, and that is himself. There isn't any religion on the face of the earth. There isn't any church. There isn't any Bible-believing church that can save anyone. There isn't any relative that can save anyone. There is only the Christ. The anointed one that God chose. The anointed one of God. You say, fine, Christ, I need to know who this is. Because it says, for Christ also died. Wait a minute, Christ died. We'll get to that next. But the first thing is, who's the Christ? Why is that important? Turn with me the Bibles to Matthew 24. Matthew chapter 24, verses 23 and 24. Look what it says. Now this is talking about the future in the context. This is still yet to come, but it's also true in a sense of today. Let me just under give you that understanding. It was also true in the sense of the day of the apostles. We know that, just to give you some concept of that, because in 1 John... It identifies those who are false Christs. We didn't believe that Christ came in the flesh, by the way. But I want you to catch this part. Here's the point. Verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, Behold, here is the Christ. Same word, Messiah, anointed. Or there he is. Do not believe him. Watch. For false Christ. Is it possible to have Christ that are not the real thing. Yes. Is it possible for deception and will there be deception? Yes. Watch. For false Christ and false prophets will arise, and watch this, and show great signs. I just had a Christian growth class in which I was talking about this, and we were talking about the cults. We are talking about heretics. Listen. The problem is we think they're kind of weird looking. No, no, no. According to 2 Corinthians, Satan presents himself as an angel of light. He wants to look like the real thing, but he's a counterfeit. And there are those who will come along and say that they are the way, who say they are the Messiah. And the day is still going to come in which many, watch this, false prophets, will arise, show great signs, and even wonders 
There are people that wonder, oh, look at that, look at this, rather than going back into the scriptures. So as to watch this mislead, this is out unbelievable. Even to mislead, if possible, even the elect, those that God has chosen. It is so significant to put it right into something you understand that God is saying to us that Pastor Dan, they are going to be so deceptive that it's possible to deceive you if you're not careful. So it's important when we start off for Christ, what Christ? There are people that are saying that their religion's the only way, that they're the only way, and we've got it, and we're living in a world like that today, and it's come to the stage that everybody's confused, so they're saying there can't be anything that's right. Oh, yes, we want to know who this Christ is. Can we know who this Christ is? Do people really want to know? Turn with me for a second to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We're not going to get by the first word today. John chapter 4. I think this is significant, though. We need to understand it. Verse 25. Let me give you the context again. The Lord's going through Samaria, and as, as he's got to go through Samaria, as he says, and he goes and uh, he comes and he meets this woman of Samaria at the well, and she starts talking with him, and she's puzzled by what this guy is saying, and he's going to give her eternal life, and she doesn't know. But she knows this. Watch verse 25. The woman said as she's conversing with Jesus Christ, she said to him, I know that Messiah, now what does that mean? She tells us, who is coming, who is called what? Christ. So everything we're talking about. I know that when the Messiah comes, why? Because God had promised a deliverer. God had promised his anointed. God had promised his servant. God had promised that he would save. And he says, when he, that one comes, he will declare to us all, he will declare all things to us. I'm waiting, she knew enough to say, I am waiting for this one to come who is the one of God. So people were looking for it, and it's important that we understand who is it. And people just take for granted who it is. We know who it is. How do you know who it is? Look at the next verse. Jesus said to her what? I who speak to you am he. Who is the Messiah? You see, First Peter, it's great to look at it and say, for Christ died for sins, the just for the unjust, well, who did that? Is it anybody? Is it, is it someone that can just come along and get a following after them and develop a religion after them? Is it, is it someone else? No, it is Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. He is the one that God anointed. The verse was up here as we started the service this morning. I didn't know it was going to be up there, but I saw it. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his unique son. It was his choice. He sent Jesus Christ. The identity is here. It is the Jesus of Nazareth. He's the only one that fits the bill. He's the only one who later could say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but by me. You say, I'm still not sure. Go, to me, go with me to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. 
Look at verse 16. Here we are in the genealogy, and you come down to verse 16. Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, by whom Jesus was born. Now we know where it is. This is the Jesus of Nazareth, the one born of Mary, who is called what? The Messiah, the Christ. You see, there's no question. Turn with me in the same book to chapter 16. See, I don't want you to take for granted. I want you to see with your own eyes. And I know many in this room have believed, and at times we get doubts, you know. Uh, we think about it, and is it, is it really so? Is, is it really just Jesus Christ? Yes, it is. Are you pretty narrow-minded? Yes. Because there's only one way. And it's the narrow way that saves, not the broad way. Same book of Matthew. But in chapter 16, remember this? Look at verse 16. The Lord's been asking, who do people say that I am? In verse 13. And Simon Peter answered, here it is. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Why? Because the Father chose who the anointed was. There is no other Savior but Jesus Christ. And if you've heard that language before and say, yeah, I know, but you're really trusting in Fellowship Bible Church, you're not saved. You need to be trusting in Christ. If you're trusting in a church, religion, or you think, you know, I'm just still not sure, you know, I want to cover all the bases, and I want to attach Jesus to my life, but, you know, I want to be sure, so I'm going to have, no, it doesn't work that way. There is only one Messiah. And by the way, do you know that the demons know that? Isn't it amazing? Sometimes people don't want to accept it. You know, you're so narrow-minded. Yes, because Jesus said he's the only way. Turn with me to Luke chapter 4. Don't take my word for it. Luke chapter 4. For time's sake, Jesus is healing people. And you come down to verse 41. Luke 4, 41. Watch this. Demons... Also, we're coming out of many shouting, You are the Son of God. And you've got people that have religions built on the fact, well, yes, he's the Son of God, but he's not God. He's the Son of God, but he's not the only way. Really? Look at what the demons say. Watch. But he rebuked them. He would not allow them to speak because they knew him, that is Jesus, to be what? The Christ. They knew it. They know who he is, and they tremble according to the book of James. When day came, Jesus left and went to a secluded place, and crowds were searching for him and came to him. We see that in the text. Even the demons know it is Jesus of Nazareth. Listen, folks, he is the only Savior. Salvation and no other. Go back with me to 1 Peter. I'm going to have to expand on this next week, but let me, I don't want to leave it hanging here. 
I want you to see at least a little bit of taste of it. He's, he's telling them to understand you ought to live for Christ. You ought to be ready to be witnessing for him because you have the only Savior. And they want them to see that he suffered unjustly. That's the context. He died. And we'll talk more about that death next week. But he had to die. What did Jesus Christ come to do? To make everybody happy? To make everybody smile and just say God loves you? God does love us. He came to die. Why? Because the wages of sin is death. According to the book of Hebrews, he came so he would take on flesh like we are. The only true God-man. Totally sinless. We'll see that in depth next week because I don't have the time right now. Without sin. That's why. He is the anointed of God. It is Jesus of Nazareth that is the only Savior. And if you haven't trusted in him, you don't have a Savior. You need to be careful. Listen, because you know what? If you get nothing else out of this, the demons intellectually know it and they're not saved there are people who know and have heard and who have academically been taught that Jesus Christ is a savior and have assented with their mind but never with their heart and there are those who according to Matthew 7 will stand before Jesus Christ and say haven't we done many things, listen, in your name? We knew who you were. We knew you were the way, truth, and life. Didn't we do marvelous things? And he's going to turn around to them and say, I never knew you. Frightening. My heart's desire in a message like this and in dealing with this passage and having communion this morning, this is a great time to examine whether it's real. It's not Jesus plus. There is only one anointed of God, and that is Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who is sent by God, totally sinless, as we will see, totally just, and he died to satisfy the righteous judgment of God on sin. And those and only those who by faith have trusted in him have forgiveness of sins and the gift of eternal life. Only them. You notice in our text, and we'll expand on it, only he is able to bring us to God. You say, I've wanted to know God all my life. I really desire to know God. There's only one way to know God, and there's only one way to get to God, and that is through Jesus Christ. He is the way. He said it himself. Jesus Christ said, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. There isn't anyone. That's not male. That's generic. No man, human being, comes to the Father unless it's through me. Why? Because he's the door. Why? Because he laid down his life so that you and I could have forgiveness of sins. It was physical. We'll talk about that as well. But I want you to see this morning, if you are a believer, it is the power of the gospel. It is the power of the cross that we've been singing about. 
that's taken a person like me or like you if you trusted in Christ. Totally dead. Totally following after religion, man's philosophy, man's thoughts, man's way. There's got to be a better way and opened up our heart to the glorious good news that his anointed one, Jesus Christ, paid it all and has redeemed us. And he's risen and he's alive at the right hand of the Father. And as a believer, I hope you cherish that. Because if you do, verses 13 to 17 in last week's message, you're ready to witness for him. Live for him, and others will be drawn so you can share the glorious good news. And this is a good time if you've heard it, and you're like the demons. I've heard the message, I know he's the Christ. But deep down in your heart, I don't know that I can just put everything on the line and trust in him for salvation. For you, today is the day of salvation. Don't put it off. For you have no guarantee of tonight. Trust in him. There is no other anointed of God. Let this be the day that you settle in your heart. And believe and come to Christ, recognizing yourself as a sinner in need of his salvation. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we have much more to say about the text, and it's all there in the significance of what he did. And we need to unpack that. But this morning, as you've given us, by your grace and your word, the opportunity to come together for communion, Something, again, we often take for granted. Help us to examine our own hearts. Those who have trusted in Christ to very humbly come before you with a thankful heart. Excited, not morbid, but excited that we can be used as witnesses for you. Help us to be set apart to Christ. For those who have heard about Christ and have heard about the work of Jesus, and know all the intellectual facts that can repeat it, even have the language, but have not settled it in their hearts. Help them to see that they're still blind and dead. It doesn't matter whether they've been coming to this church for 50 years. And I pray that today, right in the pew, this would be the moment of salvation. They would come to see that it is your son, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah who is the anointed one of you, who is the Savior. They might trust in his completed work and his resurrection on their behalf. Be brought from darkness to light and be given eternal life. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. How about the power of the cross? That's what we're going to sing, right?